Hey guys, I just wanted to make a note that we had a lot of technical malfunctions um, recording this episode and we tried to work around it as much as possible and fix it up as much as we could, but the sound quality is going to be a lot rougher than what you're used to hearing from us. So I still hope you enjoy the content and discussion in this episode and rest assured we'll have everything fixed up and ready to go for episode 7 and be back on track. Thanks so much for your patience, your understanding, and I hope you enjoy. Alrighty, welcome back, Kay. It is hey. so good to have all the gang back together. Yes, um, I missed everybody. Yes, we missed you. Um, and I'm Donna Holly. Hello, I'm your host and producer. And back again this week is Abigail. Hey. And of course, Kenny Watkins back. I'm back. Alright. So, we are discussing episode six, First Blood. But first, we have some uh, fan mail and follow-up from things we discussed last week. Mm-hmm. Last episode with uh, Mike Smith and Abigail, we put, he posed a question about what Christian women think um, or their viewpoint on the show. And we actually got a couple responses, so thank you. If you ever want to contribute to the conversation, you can email us at So just for context, I want to clarify that my background, um, I was raised Roman Catholic. My mother is extremely Catholic, and her mother was the most Catholic. I also went to school in the South, and I elected to go to some non-denominational churches and Baptist churches. So I've got a little bit of a variety, but it's all within the Christian uh, background. So I got a lot going on there, but I I definitely resonate um, with Marge here. You know, it's all about context, and I remember I cannot express this enough. In the Catholic churches, they never talk about context, but in those non-denominational and Baptist churches, they're like, all right, let's talk about the time. You know, we're talking about, you know, uh, I don't, I don't even know. Oh, taking over someone else's name, you know, and that's, you know, that's a great tradition we have now, but it's a tradition. It's not something you have to do. Whereas back then that kept you from getting raped. That meant that you were this man's property. That meant that you were worth however many goats. <laughs> like oh. context totally matters. So thank you March for that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I personally, um, you know, I'm Filipino and many Filipino people, especially, um, if you're from the Philippines or live in the Philippines are predominantly Catholic. Mm-hmm. You were colonized by, um, the Spanish way long ago and um, the Spanish were very devoutly Catholic so a lot of that tradition lives on 
Um, but uh, so I do have some Catholic background, and also a, a lot of my family is what's called Seventh Day Adventist, which is oh. a Protestant religion, right? And they practice their Sabbath on um, a Saturday, like what I believe uh, Judaism is practiced on uh-huh. Right. So, um, so a little bit uh, that particular sect um, denomination is um, has a, a couple uh, different beliefs that they pull from different books from the Old and New Testament, mm-hmm. um, as are different denominations as well. I think it'd be interesting to have someone that wasn't Christian, though. What now? To see a different viewpoint that yeah, wasn't Christian. I, I, well, maybe we can maybe we can look into that. We've still got some- anyone else listening that isn't a Christian. Holla! <laughs> <laughs> Fans of the show who are not Christian or different religion, different religion, any religion really, or agnostic, anything, agnostic or whatever. Yeah, I um, you know, I, I I think that it's it's difficult because um, I think that it's easy to um, forget that, and and a lot of evangelicals would disagree with me, Um, it's it's easy to forget that all of this happened thousands and thousands of years ago. Right. And um, much the same way that the American Constitution was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Thank you. And so, you know, you have to sort of think about what was going on then and what's going on now, the same thing is true um, of biblical text. Yes, there are some things that are universal and timeless and um, that we need to, um, to keep in mind because they're the underpinnings of Christianity. The commandments are, are huge. Um, but then there are other things that just... It, we don't live that way anymore. They made a whole lot of sense 2,000 years ago when there was no refrigeration and so on, like, you know, eating rules. When there was no refrigeration and people were wandering in the desert for decades at a time, but maybe not so much now. And, you know, as I I joke, and this is, you know, this is probably going to get us some hate mail, but oh well. Um, if you are following, if you're calling yourself a Christian and you are predominantly following the Old Testament, you are incorrect. You are an Orthodox Jew. Mm, Yeah. I mean, because if you want to get technical, it's, I think, the way to be the most fair, for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. because, you know, these different denominations, um, Baptist and Methodist and, uh, you know, all these, there's different denominations and sects within Catholicism, which is... Oh, yes. In Judaism, same. In Islam, same. Mm-hmm. Buddhism, I've studied Buddhism and was for a time like sort of practicing Buddhist. Um, and, and the same there as well. And it is really about context and regionality. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I think that we were talking about this earlier this week, Abigail, about how um, predominantly in um, the South, I forget which states you lived in. The Bible Belt. <laughs> very, you know, Baptist. Very Baptist. So it's very regional, you know. These well, and Southern things. Baptist. Southern Baptist is different. From Southern Baptist, Baptist, Baptist is different from a, a Baptist Baptist. You are correct. Um, so some of those Baptist churches that I went to, you know, parts of the Bible talk about the structure of the family. So the woman is to submit to the man. The man is to love the wife. The man is to cherish the children and the children are to respect the parents. Like there's actual rules on each person's action within the family. And I specifically remember being in a Sunday Baptist church and having this talk about the structure of the family. And I think that's super relevant to the, the, the role of the show too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But in the South, you know, I remember talking with the uh, with you, Donna, earlier this week as well about how, you know, you, you didn't think that it's very common anymore for women to wholly submit to their husbands anymore. Oh, yeah. But in the South, like Southern Baptists, I can't tell you how many times I witnessed where the man is straight up wrong. Like, there's no argue about it. Like, I can pull out facts in front of you and tell you you're wrong. And the wife no matter what she she thought, she'd be like, if you think that is best, I trust you because I know you love me. The Bible tells me that you love me, therefore, I'm going to trust that you are right. Even though you might know that they're not, you have to believe them, you have to submit to them, and that's just a fact. And, like, it's just, it's a very different culture to live by. I think even some Muslims, you know, follow this kind of concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just even in the nature of, like, to get really truly historical, but, you know, when him um, when his split from the church was really born out of uh, a, a want for divorce, divorce, and it was never a thing until he invented it, literally. And now we got the Church of England. <laughs> yeah, we got the Church of England, and then um, people who rebelled against that, um, uh, who felt that that was improper, and... Um, Moved to the United States. <laughs> yeah, they, they were being par- prosecuted, uh, persecuted, pardon me, and, uh, you know, these... These traditions really stretch back, though a lot changes, and even in our culture, we, we talk about on this podcast a lot about how even a year ago when this show was uh, written and shot, is a, a lot of things change between now and then. Yeah. So you can imagine that, you know, a text that, you know, many people uh, across the wor- world uh, view as sacred and feel as sacred and follow, you know, is contextually so, so different than the world. And I, and I think no one's going to question that. It, it becomes, I think, a uh, intellectual and feeling conversation to right. yeah. about how much to the letter we follow. Finding, right. what, finding the universalities in, right. in all of these things. That, yes, you know, it's, we're at a different point in history than they were at that point in time. What are the things that are universal that, um, as human beings and as people and as societies we want to have guide us so in my experience the non-denominational churches were actually really good about you know looking at context and saying all right we're going to read we're yeah this chapter of this book we're going to read it line by line and discuss you know what what did that mean in context of that day? What does it mean in context of this day? Was it metaphorical or was it literal? And let's explore all of those options and see what each one means. And then you take what you think means the most to you. I think that's a good segue to what um, Christine Kay wrote to us, Kansas. And um, she wrote a lot here. And so some of the highlights of, uh, of her comments to us was, you know, um, she's obsessed with the show, the way it has continued to transform um, my thinking about women and she's obsessed with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she says that uh, I come from a semi-patriarchal background. Just the other day, my best friend and I were incredulously remembering how a 17-year-old friend was set up with a 38-year-old divorcee and how that just seemed more on our community. And honestly, The Handmaid's Tale was a huge part of helping me see the Old Testament in a new way. I never thought about the fact that The Handmaid's and the Old Testament patriarchy was built on uh, was rape, the thank you, Margaret Atwood. Side note, in the Bible, God does appear to a handmaid in the wilderness named Hagar to yep. let her know he sees her and he will bless her and make her great. Yes. It's a little more complicated than that, but, to, but cool. But even in the Old Testament, writers couldn't escape the idea that God cared for even, everyone, even the handmaid. So right. I just love that. I mean, to, to say that a, a piece of pop culture 
and mm -hmm. you know transform someone's way of thinking and I think the greatest of our pop culture can and does that like right. recently Donald Glover aka Childish Gambino came out with This Is America mm -hmm. and people are already talking about how okay this is going to be taught in college courses mm -hmm. how to dissect that uh, particular you know piece of um, work that mm -hmm. he did and so I think you know these great pieces in our popular culture. It is a TV show, The Handmaid's Tale, based on a, a book, uh, on a piece of literature, but it can be transformative on how you handle the material. And I think, I would have never thought of it this way either, but I love that she pointed it out that, you know, not not the fact that it changed her view, though that is incredible. I'm amazed that a piece of pop culture can do that, but that she pointed out that, you know, the Old Testament was written as, you know, a world built on rape, and that this is a spoken piece about that. That's incredible. I hadn't actually thought of it that way, and she's right. Um, and she goes on to say, you know, um, uh, I could talk to you about why my marriage and babies were so important to me and why women were encouraged not to go to college, and mm. I thought that was a good thing, and even though I can't believe it now, thankfully I got my degree how I lost my personhood when I tried to practice submission to my husband and how I now have PTSD and in therapy. Um, deep within to try to figure out what would make me want this, what made me think this was a good thing. And it really hit home the other day when I watched Aunt Lydia show June with a bread truck driving yeah. dangling on the wall. Mm. Aunt Lydia was trying to show June she wasn't safe, even for herself. And once you feel like the world is a dangerous enough place and you are an evil enough person, you want safety more than anything. And Absolutely. that's what patriarchy, patriarchy promises you. Mm -hmm. It promises you it will keep you and your children safe from this bad, evil, dangerous world. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Submit to your husband. He loves you. He's going to, you know, have your best interest in heart. When you're scared, you turn to him. I think that that Fred does a good job of this. Like, he mm -hmm. is, like, the pillar. Like, he's a terrible man. But <laughs> beliefs are really the pillar of what... The society of Gilead society is built upon is that we are actually protecting women by forcing them to fulfill their biological destiny. You don't have to worry about your safety and all. But that's like a sort of bullshit. Think, I think he believes it. He, but it's bullshit because we see how much they maim and, and abuse these poor women in all classes. But, but it is. But it's for their own good. Right. According to them, and they believe if I, it. I offend thee, but you do what with it? You well, pluck yeah. it out. Janine didn't dull shine, mm -hmm. but she has <laughs> what likes it. Fucking love Janine. Stop her party. <laughs> uh, and so thank you so much, you know, um, Christine, if uh, I'll, I'll reach out to her and, um, and publish her comment publicly if, um, to, to read her her entire comment we won't have time to go into right all of it i do want to make a quick comment though about the ptsd that oh yeah yeah that you know okay i'm sure or you may or may not be aware but um from a psychology point of view like it's not uncommon it's actually relatively common for um specifically catholic children to be raised um believing that you know in embracing your body and pleasure and um, giving in to sex before marriage and all these concepts that they're all wrong, that they're bad, that they're evil. And that by the time that you do, you know, follow the rules, you get married, you, ha you have sex, you don't enjoy it, or you feel guilty, or you feel uh, dirty and wrong and like you're not supposed to enjoy it and you, you can't enjoy it. And then you end up in therapy because you're depressed and you're anxious and you're 
you have these conflicting emotions that you can't resolve on your own. And that's all because of the, the way that it was taught initially. And, you know, it wasn't taught with context like we've been talking about. And it hasn't been taught in a sex positive way because that's not the way that the Bible was written. It wasn't a sex positive time. Yeah. And for good reasons. Well, I mean, you know, inheritance, inheritance laws. I mean, exactly. If, if you enjoy sex and you're having a lot of sex, with a lot of different people, you, there's no way to prove who's is who's. whose kids these are, uh, and yes. therefore who who's to whom the, to who's got a claim to what. And so, and I mean, you must cleave only to this particular person. That has less to do with because God said so, and more to do with we got to know who the the property goes to. But I I just want to make sure that you know people listening to this, you know, if you're experiencing this, if you if you at all relate to. Um, any of these emotions that we've talked about know that it's completely normal to need therapy and to have to go through with talking to someone about it. Absolutely. Totally. Good on you, Christine, for getting into a therapist's office. I'm proud of you. And with, you know, two psychologists and a therapist on the couch, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> great recommendations all around <laughs> for seeking help if you need it and I think that's a great segue to um, this episode because uh, so I much to cover. so much to cover, and it's like the back with like the psychological games, and in such in, in so many ways. I mean, we had it in the episode uh, before where uh, June Alfred is back into the house, and, and everyone's was, words uh, meant something else. Yeah, I was, <laughs> saying, like, I was saying it's like one of my favorites because it was it was a checkoff play. I'm yeah. saying exactly what they want. This is a little different because people are really off the cuff and really wearing mm-hmm. their feelings on their chest and being more vocal about it mm-hmm. and I think it's because the way that the show has engineered now the relationship between Serena and Alfred you know and so Alfred is still in the hospital and she's getting a sonogram and um, it ended up she was bleeding because she had a hemorrhage in the urine wall and the technical term for that Abigail was okay I got you the technical term is a subchorionic hemorrhage or a subchorionic hematoma. For those that aren't aware, a hem- hemorrhage or a hematoma specifically is basically a collection of blood. And the doctor in this episode asked her about her previous mm-hmm. history, and so, um, you know, she's like, and she was fine. Very, you know, the, the baby turned, did you have any issues? And she had a moment of defiance. She did, and we, we, we hear that back mm-hmm. in her, in her voice and her attitude exactly with your days. first pregnancy, pregnancy yeah exactly and so we see a little bit of that but um, the sonogram is very effective to serena like it affects her greatly and, and and this is sort of the beginning of like where they're trying to rebuild the relationship in a positive way mm-hmm. and so serena offers to show uh, uh, it's an olive branch uh, sonogram. Um, it was a really tender moment, I thought. Very, and I, and you know, obviously we know Serena's very attached to the baby, and this is one of the second times, the first time being at the end of the uh, episode last, where she was telling the baby she promised that she's going to get, get mm-hmm. her out of, yes. out of Gilead. And um, now we really see the emotional attachment that Jude's having to, to her pregnancy and to mm-hmm. this baby. And, no, and I think it also helps that she knows in her heart that it's not Fred Waterford's and it's definitely Nick's. Because I think it would be a different story. Well, everyone knows. A lot differently if it was Fred's. Right. Um, 
So, so we're starting to, to, to get the, the beginnings of this little relationship. And so when Alfred gets back home, you know, she walks in and Eden is assisting Rita in the, in the kitchen. So they're learning how to eat. But we definitely get a lot of Eden in this episode. Boy, do we know. I like that she's becoming a solid character here. Definitely. We, we predicted that, I mean, I predicted that she would be troublesome. And indeed, she proves that she has the potential to be. Um, and, and Serena continues this vein of like having compassion and, and showing care for Alfred, whether you know she really cares for Alfred or not, or she really just cares for the environment of his baby. Nevertheless, you know she offers her you know to sleep and live in the sitting room, which is all very much more opulent, obviously than the quarters. That and she doesn't she have wants. to climb the stairs. Exactly, climb the stairs. And then Nick comes in, you know, and you know saying that you know you scared me and. Uh, uh, and Nick was the one who found her, obviously. Yeah. And so we're, we're getting the reemergence of this relationship because in the episode before, it was very cut off because uh, Alfred was like a drone. She was like, it was a space cadet. And um, and so we see the reemergence of this relationship because in the episode before, you know, obviously Alfred was like not present, like lights were not on in the house. Yeah. Um, upstairs in the attic. Um, and uh, Nick is going on about, you know, uh, he thinks about what we could be, and June does admit that she does too, but I mean, this is a huge development that Nick is now married. And even though it wasn't his choice, and it's not of his choosing, married is married, and Gilead, these structural rules for the familial unit mean everything, and they're very rigid. And uh, Rita comes in, you know, and Rita obviously knows what's going on, Milk it, like, you know, milk the big lips. See the banter going on between June, Nick, and Rita. Oh, where can I get some suit? And she's like, ask your wife. <laughs> and we see that June is like laughing, like she's trying to suppress her laughter. But, you know, so we're, we're getting... It's a little bit lighthearted now, yeah. The culture of this household, really. What's, mm-hmm. what's going on in the heartbeat of this household, right? Um... And uh, so we get, uh, switching gears, a scene between Mr. Waterford, Commander Waterford, uh, and Aunt Lydia at this big spanking brand new building. And it's a new uh, red center, Rachel and Leah Center. Yes. And, um, state-of-the-art kind of deal. And um, Aunt Lydia is being very forward and was mentioning <gasps> to uh, Fred how he has a willful pair between Serena and uh, Aubrey. And um, mm-hmm. she makes an interesting comment about it. It's like, I assure you know what to do in order to step in when the time is right. And then he was just kind of like, yeah, I try to stay away. <laughs> uh, so we see Fred sort of in his element, right? So we see that this has been his project. Mm-hmm. But then he goes to meet with his um, superiors in this, you know, little government structure. And they just start shitting on him. They're super critical of progress. Mm-hmm. They're like, nothing is done. You know, we're Where are we supposed to be sitting? Yeah, and I, it is like the rare moment I've ever felt bad. It was, yeah, it was kind of one of those moments where, like, the entire council was like, you had one job, like, one of those moments. I mean, he was just, like, trying to defend himself, like, I promise everything's on task. I get the general idea that, like, people, like, do not like him. And uh, to me, like, it's it's really, I think, maybe the first moment that I was like, oh, red. See, see, I've had that moment before. I'm glad you finally got it. <laughs> So now we get back to um, Eden and Nick, and this dynamic between them, um, you know, she cooked dinner for him, and they're, like, doing... And this, oh, that poor little girl. She's offering, you know, how can I make it better for you? Trying so hard. Yeah. 
Do you like your potatoes roasted like this? Oh, mock her all you want. She was trying. She is 15 years old. I know for a fact she is 15 years old. And if we just assume that maybe Gilead's about five years old, that means she was 10 when it all went down and she was indoctrinated. I don't know about you guys, but I don't remember a whole hell of a lot before 10. I got very specific memories and I sure as hell don't remember what a family's supposed to be like. Making fun of her. I'm just saying it was so like she was. She's a true believer. She knows nothing else. This is all she knows. And at that, he's not giving her anything to bite off of. Well, he was not expecting to have a wife. I mean, I I think it would be a different thing if he had had any idea that he was going to show up at this this ceremony, ceremony, the parade again, again. yeah, and, and walk out of there with a wife. And also but, we have um, the, the complication of obviously his his affair with June, and they obviously yeah. care very much for each other. I mean, he says he loves her. And he, he probably does. But, and then you've got poor Eden, you know, going, why won't he have, I mean, what she's probably been taught is that men are slavering wolves, <laughs> and that the minute that you put fresh meat in front of them, they fall on it and, and gobble it up. And, you know, we've been married for three whole days now. How come he hasn't tried to have sex with me? I mean, yeah. believes it's their duty to go Yes. On. And um, so I didn't, it didn't occur to me when she was, like, trying to, like, get up on him, basically, was, uh, you know, they haven't consummated their marriage because the night they were supposed to use the night that he found Right. It, right. it wasn't until, yeah, this scene where I was just like, oh, shit, they haven't consummated yet. Yeah. And she was probably taught that, like, the consummation happens the night of your wedding. Yeah, mm-hmm. typically, for sure. And so we get back to the sitting room, and, you know, Serena and um, June are continuing to sort of develop this this relationship, and Serena's, like, sort of making banter, and, and in a way... It was really sweet. It was very sweet, and I, and I observed throughout this episode that a way that, you know, these women connected was to connect from things before Gilead. Mm-hmm. You know, small talk, you know, when you have freedom and you get to do things outside of the home, you know, and they're not subjugated, like, what else do you have to talk about? other than the weather. Um, so, you know, she was like, remember those pregnancy pillows? Yeah, those are sweet. And they do have this tender moment where, like, Alfred, you know, invites her to feel, which is different than the scene before when um, Serena, like, goes into her room and pretends, like, the, the top half of Alfred is not even present uh-huh. and just, like, talks to the baby. Right. And so we get this uh, first flashback uh, of the episode to uh, Serena, and we know that Serena was a professional writer. Yes. Right, and uh, her book is called A Woman's Place. I don't know yeah. if the, that title was in the book. I don't uh, know if it was ever mentioned. It was not in the book. But we knew they that mentioned Serena it. Was a writer. They mentioned it previously on the last season because in fact when she went to throw the right. book out. Oh yeah. That was what the- but I, I specifically remember that like. Be- because of these scenes, with the flashback scenes of this episode, it makes it seem like she was the one that started this entire Gilead concept. I think she's just sort of like the talking, like, not the, I won't say talking head. So she's, I think, the talking head or like the symbolic person of the greater movement because she does have fans and she does have a following and I think she's capturing sentiment of like okay. a smaller group of people that she's trying to amplify. And she's a woman. Uh It is different 
when a woman says, I am a woman, and I am a professional woman, and I am a woman with a voice, and I am saying that for the good of civilization, we women need to do these things and give up some of our agency in order to save the world for the greater good. Um, that is a big difference between a woman saying that and a guy or a group of guys saying uh, this is what needs to happen. I didn't even consider that, but you're right. So she's at this uh, university and she's getting a lot of booze. She's being jeered and, and, and it's pretty she's rowdy. And people are holding up signs and calling out that she's a Nazi and a fascist. I get the fascist, but... I don't understand the Nazi. Yeah. Like, I want to know what's in the book that makes him say Nazi. Which is interesting because we, do, we haven't addressed the race issue yet in this series, and obviously there's a lot of people of color of different races in the working class and the subjugated classes and the, the quote-unquote slavery classes. We see um, at Santa's an email, you know, wanting us to clarify that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, most of these people are slaves, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Well, I mean, if you look at Serena, Serena kind of looks like a Nazi. Bright blue eyes and the pale skin and the blonde hair yeah. all pulled back. She's Hitler's dream, yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is what this scene reminded me of is like when she's, um, people are throwing things at her and yelling at her, it reminds me of two um, uh, problematic women in our own popular culture, Anne Coulter. Oh, yeah. And uh, for people who don't know who Anne Coulter is, most, a lot of younger generation know who Tommy Lauren is. Mm -hmm. And I was reading, um, uh, an article about this weekend, uh, this past week, how Tommy Warren was at a restaurant with her mother, and these people were sort of like scowling at her and like, not, like making it known that they weren't fans of hers. Mm -hmm. And one of them threw a glass of water at her. Not like the glass, like the glass, but like the water in the glass mm -hmm. threw it at her. Um, so she wasn't like assaulted. Um, she was, water was thrown on her. That is assault. Essentially. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And, um, then the whole uh, restaurant cheered that this has ha had happened. And so it's interesting to me that if you look at Tommy Lauren and Ann Coulter, do they not look very similar? Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting oh, to me. Just an observation, say what you want to say about that. But, um, and then so they're escorting her out because it's, it's too rowdy, and so they say it's not safe. And then Fred says, this is America, which it's... I don't understand how this episode was so on point. Was was so on point on like so many pop culture things that happened literally in the last week or couple <laughs> weeks, and it was written in probably like a year ago. It just blows my mind. So it's obviously not a reference to Charlie right. Gambino's This Is America, but it was a really good coincidence. But it's a good coincidence because you can gather a lot from that one sentence. You can infer a lot and gather lots of meanings um, because it all lives in that in that same name. Well, it's interesting, you know, that, that he that he was saying that, you know, you have to let her speak, you know, First Amendment. Yeah, well, it's their First Amendment right, too. Right okay, there. okay. I've had this discussion earlier this week with Donna, but mm -hmm. w yes, it is their First Amendment right to protest and to say what they want to say and to have those signs and absolutely all of it. Yeah. But I believe that especially in an academic setting where someone's been invited to speak, there should be rules. You know, on the grounds of a location, you're allowed to have rules and you're allowed to enforce these rules. And those rules can be, you know, when we have someone speaking, your protesting needs to be either outside or it needs 
to stop, you're like, you, you can hold your signs, but you need to stop talking and yelling or throwing things, you know, impeding their right to say what they have to say because they were invited to speak there. Yeah, this whole situation that's obviously very indicative, like, is being, you know, taken directly out of, you know, this trend of uh, incidents at institutions of higher learning, colleges and universities, of um, objecting to certain speakers coming to speak and just, like, massive, massive protests against these people. And so I don't necessarily know where I lie, because I agree with both of you that, like, if you object to someone being there because they don't, speak for your values or whatever, definitely protest. And I definitely, you know, agree with um, Abigail that, you know, if, if someone is trying to um, say their opinion and that you are in an environment that fosters, you know, you need two opposing views in order to, to debate something fully, right, in my opinion. So I... Well, I, I mean, I think there's a difference. It's complicated. I think there's a difference between debate and just screaming abuse at people. I mean, you know, if let's it's fine if you disagree with what it is Absolutely. That has to say, um, on the grounds of it being non factual or uh, you may disagree with her on the grounds that you don't think that what she's saying is factual or that you don't think that it's uh, it makes sense or that there's better ways to, to get things done. But you don't need to call her a Nazi, see you next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's... I, I, I agree, there, there should be limits. And actually, you know, it's, it's, it raises an interesting point, which is, did um, the overwhelming um, leftist reaction to some of the pre-Gilead ideas bubbling up help to push some of that forward, you know what I mean? Because yeah. you could sort of see these people as being martyrs, you know? Or, Wait, or push what forward? Hmm? Just their agenda and their viewpoint, but like, because now she has so much more publicity to her because... Because people are protesting against it, okay. I mean, I do agree, like, if someone has a difference of opinion, sure, but then isn't there also a line of whomever it, you're invited to speak at an academic institution, if, if, if what they have to say is of academic value, or is it just like inflammatory for inflammatory yeah. and we shouldn't like um, enable them, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like yeah. there is a line, and it's blurry, and it's complicated, and I don't know if we've really figured out like how to handle that situation. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the French president, President Macron, I'm probably saying his name wrong, but I'm trying, um, he visited George Washington University campus. Now, GW is well-known in D.C. and is known as one of the most uh, um, politically active, thank you, one of the most politically active campuses in America, or the United States at least. And when he visited, the streets were lined with people protesting his acts in Syria and, you know, all of his different movements across Europe and what his plans are. And at one point, he actually stopped and he lively debated. And when I say that, I mean, not meanfully. He was healthfully debating 
a GW student on his choice to go into Syria, what the different circumstances were, why he did it versus other options. It was a solid like five or six minute debate. And at the end, he was like, listen, if you think you can do better, awesome. You go run the country. I think that was a healthy way to handle a situation. And when he when he did speak at GW, like in the assembly, you know, there were rules. If you are going to protest, you have to protest outside. You can hold a sign. You are not allowed to yell. You are not allowed to impede his right to speak to us. Like they had rules and people had to follow them or else they were escorted out. I think um, also this scene was definitely greatly exaggerated because sure. you can have rules and try to enforce it with like what, like five security guards and then like if every, like 200 people are just up in arms in a small space, that's pretty chaotic. I mean, yeah. Um, so the, we're, we switch gears from this um, flashback and we get to Alfred getting a glass of water in the kitchen and uh, Commander Waterford's in there, so Fred... In the middle of the night. In, in the middle of the night is like eating midnight snack, whatever. And I wrote in my notes here, like, in the scene, what is her aim? Because they're sort of shooting the shit, and then I realized, like, in, in watching this scene again, it's like, they're sort of getting a feel for, like, where each other is at. Because mm-hmm. so much shit, like, really bad blood between them, between mm-hmm. the last time they saw each other until now. Yeah. And this is their first, I think, one-on-one very candid moment. Mm-hmm. In a very long time, like, months. Yeah. She was, uh, she ran away and she was there for a couple months. 92 days. And, um, uh, even before then, like, you know, during the pregnancy, like, the beginnings of the pregnancy, there was a lot of stuff happening. So I think this is their very first, like, candid moment with each other in quite some time. Mm-hmm. So I, I asked, like, what is her aim? Yeah. it was very unclear to me what she was sort of getting at in this scene. And I'm unsure on whether or not she actually got up because she was thirsty, which is valid when you're that pregnant, you get thirsty, or if she heard him and decided to try something. I don't know. Unclear. I, but I think when she was in there... It's like, what cards do you play? Yeah, you know, you gotta have as, as many cards available to you as possible. You know, okay, Serena and I seem like we're, we're you know, we're buddy-buddying at the moment, but, you know, I know what she's like. Who knows how long that will last? Um, it might be good to have a, an ace in my back pocket. True. Um, so, which worked out for her, you know, closer to the end of things. But, um, yeah, so, but... <laughs> It was just such a cute question. Are you mad at me? <laughs> you know, because I ran away with your baby. And... I think he knows that it's not his kid, dude. Because Serena kind of throws it in his face a couple times. He definitely does not like Nick at the moment. He definitely wants Nick out of that. Yeah. I think that he thinks that Nick is a rival. And wants him out of the house. I don't know that he knows Knows definitively. definitively. He hasn't made it explicitly. Right. And here's the thing. Honestly, it doesn't matter. It's his his kid regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that does not mean he wants Nick climbing all up, you know, his handmaid. (laughs) It's interesting, like, we switch gears from that where, you know... June and, and Fred are sort of like this, like uh, creeping into their little cat mouse game again, mm-hmm. and then um, we get to our first scene with uh, June and Ian alone, 
And so this is interesting because Eden reveals to her that like Nick leaves in the evening and doesn't sleep with her. And um, and it is very sad because it makes her feel and believe that oh he hates me, he thinks I'm ugly. It's so sad. And it is sad because when you're this you know, poor dear brought up to feel like this is your purpose and this is your and you think you're one person you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with doesn't think you're attractive. Well, sad. Like, it is. And, and she has nothing else to do with her day except to think about that, right? <laughs> she really does. And so I chop up vegetables <laughs> yeah. and, and read his kitchen. And this was the part that got dangerous. And this is why I said, you know, she's probably been raised to believe that men are just, you know, slavering wolves. And as soon as you go, hi, here I am, they go, <laughs> She pointed out that she had not tried to have sex with her up to now might suggest that he was, in fact, gay. Um, I think that moment for me, I was like, oh, that I was not expecting. Because no, no. I thought it was going to go down like she's going to find out what's, what's happening this evening. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that twist, I was like, oh, she's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know how dangerous she is, which no. makes her even more dangerous. Yeah, she's just operating out of like, um, like it's her, her duty to like her... God is what she believes. Yeah, she's right? a little Midwest farm girl, isn't she? Yeah, she does mention she's like from a small town where mm-hmm. eat anyways. And right. then to like when Gilead took over to so the adoption was I'm sure very easy for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh so that was like a, I was very actually surprised and I was mm-hmm. like, oh shit. Um, and then oh my gosh, one of my favorite scenes in this whole episode, it might be my favorite scene to date. Is that if you haven't gone uh, to YouTube and looked at SNL um, sketch with Amy Schumer, they did a Handmaid's Tale and Sex in the City mashup called Handmaid's in the City. <laughs> and it's ridiculous, but it is that concept of like, you know, like the, 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 the way that the women speak in Sex in the City, the way they. Mm-hmm. And they gossip. How we gossip in Sex in the City style. Mm-hmm. Um, that pattern of speech and applied it to like the subject matter of like what the handmaids talk about and what happens to them. And it's just such like, like oh Janine, did you lose weight? Oh, does a bi- having a baby count? Yeah, and then, uh, I think one of them says under a side and goes don't to like pointing to the yeah. like, So it's it, it's very tongue cheek, obviously. And uh, so if you haven't watched that, I encourage you to YouTube it because we get to the handmaids party. Yeah. I was like, what? What's happening? I was freaking out. With the quiche. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, Serena served them. I've never thought Serena was more the old woman in this one. She was perfect. Except for the very painful faux pas. Sorry to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. except for the very painful faux pas where she kept asking off Glenn to talk about this. And all of the okay. Okay, so I don't think she realized that the tongue was cut out. And two, I don't think she realized that this wasn't the same off Glenn that she used to actually be friends with. That's very true. Am I, is she, she had no re- Why would she, she need to know? And so, uh, except for that little faux pas there, you know, she's trying real hard. And, and I think this is like a rare moment. Like, no, no other mistress would ever do this for any of their enemies. Which makes me question how she got other mistress, mistresses to say yes to letting their handmaids go over for this lunch. Rare to ask handmaids to come over because they like. She probably just didn't tell them why. Um, had 
has a baby and she's nursing, it might be common to like make mm-hmm. a call to, to, to pay a call okay. to, to help maybe or something right. like that. Okay. Alfred has also been called to, to help with a situation with uh, Janine. That's true. You know, and so, people so may they, not like Fred, but he is pretty high up in the He is. And if Serena calls And so she's playing like the hostess and, and, and yeah, it was it, I thought I thought it was a total big deal for mm-hmm. her to be serving them quiche. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> absurd. I was shocked. And I and the, the fabulous part of this is like how uh, gracious June becomes in that moment. Mm-hmm. And even though she knows she's breaking rules by talking about the world before Gilead. That was a little bit of defiance right there. Yeah. And, uh, Actually, if you look back at it, I watched it again. I originally, I originally thought that. I think that she was trying to cover because Serena did eventually remember that Auckland didn't have a tongue. Because you think? Offland sitting over there trying, you know, looking down, and she, she, her, she trailed off. It was like, so, uh, 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 and then they were all sitting there in silence. Wait, really? Serena just trailed off? She trailed off. Oh, I missed that. And this. then, um, and then June jumped in and said, do you guys remember oh. the French place that we used to go to over yeah. on the, um, and then. Interesting. Um, what's her name? Uh, yeah, jumped in and said, oh, yeah, whatever the name of it was. And I remember you were talking about the real crunchy granola place over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is this, like, great, like, little girlfriend's moment. And, like, all things considered, like, obviously, everything happening on still fucking horrible. But, like, you can have these <laughs> moments where you're like, oh, my God, this is, like, such a great moment for these people. Yeah, but I think that was the moment that upset Serena, and she was like, "Everyone else is touching my baby. I'm gonna go garden now, like angry garden." I don't know if it was about like touching my baby, but I think it was that like, like for all things considered, June uh, has the the friends. She has cool friends. Serena yeah, does not. Have it probably hit her. She doesn't have these all support. Like, they're horrible. <laughs> so she she doesn't have that, like, camaraderie with any other women. I have a feeling she has never had a whole lot of girlfriends. I could see that. I disagree with you. That, you're right. That's probably what really got to her. She's very smart. She's very ambitious. She looks like that. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that she... Not many people are actually friends with her. Mm-hmm. Poor thing. Um, so after my favorite of all scene of all time, Pancake's party, mm-hmm. um, and, and it is uh, the next scene, you know, Serena's affected and planting her little seedlings, and, and to me, what that signifies is, like, these are the only babies, Serena mm-hmm. has her little seedlings, and yeah. um, you know, um, and then it flashes back again to Serena, um, back at the university, and everyone's riding around her, and she finally it manages to get some words about and you were talking about the 61%. Yeah. Um, How birth rates have dropped. Initially, my, my initial response to that was along the lines of, I'm doing the shock demoticon. Like, with um, the mouth dropping to the floor. Uh, yeah, because I'm like, 61%? That's quite... In that's, 12 months, that is precipitous. And then I realized, oh, fake news. No. Okay. Well, maybe. I don't know. But I do remember, I do remember, I do remember in um, one of those uh, flashback scenes to when um, Janine 
And yeah, when they first go back to the Red, to red Center, there's a slideshow. And I mm-hmm. took a screenshot. It's on the timeline for you guys. Um, have we uploaded that timeline? Not yet. Okay. But when it gets uploaded, it's there. I believe it's on the very first side. Um, th- there's a picture on the slideshow of birth rates. Um, and in 2015, there's like one baby versus like in the rates of things versus like 2012 when it was like 12 babies on the, on the screen. Right. The reason, the only reason why I said, I don't know that it was that precipitous mm-hmm. is that I don't know that people would be quite so crazed yelling at Serena about some of the ideas that she had about trying to preserve the population if it had literally just gone and just cratered like that over 12 months. I, I, you're, you have a better ear than me because I didn't catch the 12 months of 61% of 12 months. That's significant. That would be like... I mean, that's a plague. They, they had an infertility plague. That's what they keep calling it. So that is pretty significant. And so, uh, you know, she does talk in the context in, in her own terms of saying, you know, this is for, you know, the preservation of the human race. Like, mm-hmm. we are going to die off as a species if we don't do something like that. Which I was relating to Abigail earlier this week is that, uh, you know, for us that seems unfathomable because we currently live on a planet with billions and billions and billions and billions of people. 7.8 billion. billion. Basically. So, it's hard for us to fathom, like, that type of, like, of like underpopulation to the point where like the walking dead where we're like zero people on the planet and like all zombies right so it's hard for us to imagine that but it it is like a mental exercise and there was an article that came out if not last week um uh, very recently about um the report came out how birth rates from last year to this year in every age group declined except for women in their 40s which is interesting Mm -hmm. i like that um, Different reasonings they, they say behind that, but also technology, technology and, and also people I are just doing it later in life. Yeah, later in life. I feel like you know, I, I just turned 30, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm not currently married yet, and so uh, I don't know if anytime soon I'm going to be starting a family. So, you know, it makes sense to me that women are waiting later and later sure. for financial stability because we are having greater access to health care for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, asterisk. Uh, <laughs> huge asterisk there and because of you know the increased um access to family planning services in in parts of the country uh you are able to wait or uh, to have your family until you feel like you're financially stable etc 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 so if that happens in a large enough swath of people which you know this has been a long time coming this mm-hmm. is not like an overnight thing where like all of a sudden people are having way less babies Right. You know, it, it is a gradual thing, and now we're sort of reaping the um, the, the uh, results of, of these, you know, policies that have, we've been working towards for, for so long, for decades. So I, that's my personal take. I'm, on I, here's the thing: I'm not I'm not saying at all, given what she was saying, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there was not a significant drop off mm-hmm. from whatever. Sixty-one uh, percent in twelve months is huge. Yeah. Um, and well, again, think about the Black Plague. How quickly that happened and spread. It was within twelve months that crazy numbers of deaths happened. And with flus, flus come so quickly and 
can wreak havoc if you don't have the proper infrastructure. So if there was an infertility plague and calling it like a virus, I wouldn't be surprised if those were the numbers. Well, again, it's unclear. So I was thinking, is this actually an actual number? Yeah. Or is this Some literal, literal perfect. fake news yeah. that, that a certain portion of the population believes? Yeah. I mean, there are people, there are, there are people who watch Fox News who believe certain things to be absolutely true that, as you were saying a little bit ago, you can actually pull the facts out and go, nope, see, here's... Here's the facts, yeah. Nope, but, 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 but that's not... If you actually believe it and you actually have faith in, the, in those numbers, yeah, I mean, if, if somebody told yeah. me that the population had dropped off 61% in 12 months, as soon as she said that, the first thing that crossed my mind was, oh, well, that makes sense then. Yeah. yeah. I see why they did that now, yeah. 61%. And then I said, wait a minute, 61% in 12 months? That is like a, that is, that's a hard number to get around, for sure. Mm -hmm. so, so, anyway, that's We were talking about martyrdom, and, yes. you know, this is the scene where we see that Serena on this book tour, she's excited, she got, she got fired up, she's feeling on top of the world, and she gets mm -hmm. shot in the stomach. And uh, so we're, it's not said explicitly, but it could be affecting her ability to conceive a child that she's still on the shot, you know? Mm -hmm. um, in that area. Um, and so the next scene we get to the nursery and she's telling June, you know, I'm gonna be the best mother I can be. And she's relating stories about how in her nursery with Hannah, there are these building dark stars. And she finally segues to like begs Serena to see Hannah. And then I wrote down here, oh, and Serena flipped the bitch switch. That's <laughs> she. I mean, she was so okay, but I would I would say that up until that moment, they were sh really sharing and being compassionate and building this relationship, and they were really they were they were going somewhere together. And I mean, yes, she probably asked for too much in that moment, but I would argue that Serena. I mean, I don't know if they were angry tears or if she genuinely felt something because they were having that moment of feelings. And then she was like, I understand if you couldn't see your child. Like, I, I, I feel for you, but I still can't. Like, I have to say no. I don't know which way it goes. Yeah. But either way, like, they were having some good progress there. And then June just overstepped. And I think that was an accident. I think, yeah. I think she thought a door was open that wasn't wasn't open. Yeah. Serena feels and betrayed. And she, she, she was so her. hurt. Yeah. And so she ends up kicking Offred out of the sitting room. And so That's sad. And goes down there and Nick comes in and June was like, you have to sleep with Eden. But you, you know, even. She's going to cause trouble. You have to sleep with someone you don't want to. Poor thing. <laughs> Throwing it in his face. I was like, dang girl. Yeah, you get it. And you tell him. No, she's right. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, because she it tells him that she doesn't want him and you know Nick says I love you and she was, she was like she's your wife mm -hmm. she's, even though she's 15 like she is your wife you know and if you really love me go fucking fuck your wife mm -hmm. that way you can stay around me wow. what, what fucked up situations this show gets can we talk about that consummation scene I glory hole I need to publish my notes at some point because I have this also in there I put WTF is this Heidi Bowl sheet <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay oh. so I, was, I did put in some Google 
searching into this because uh-huh. I was like, there has to be a precedent for this. There somewhere. is. There is. And um, so I was reading that it is a myth that like it's widely thought that Orthodox Jews have sex in this way, in mm-hmm. this manner. Um, but a lot of people say that that's not true. No, um, I have heard that originally it wasn't like that. That they after they got married and crushed the glass or whatever, they, or mirror, they have to go behind a sheet or a curtain. They're, it's not like the woman's covered like the way the scene portrayed, but they were behind a curtain, um, and they had to consummate. And that was like the finalization of the ceremony. Interesting. But that was like behind a door and like, I don't know. Well, I, I, this is super old school. Yeah, and there is also president, like there was like, you know, a Catholic, you know, um, Parish or something. Right. Some region way long ago that is mm-hmm. documented that they yes. proposed like or pre, uh, enforced that you do this. So mm-hmm. there is some some instances in, in, in history and stuff. Like and there that. are the two doves on there, and that's very symbolic in the Christian religion. So it is like getting back to this, like throughout this, you know from the beginning of season one, how like sex is not meant to be pleasurable. It's mm-hmm. only for biological, you know, procreation purposes. It is not meant to be about lust or desire or none of that. It is just about preparation, period. You're not supposed to be able to see her even with the clothes on. Breasties, nothing. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate. And uh, because there was Seriously, a scene... how are you supposed to get yeah. it up? Thank you! Well, I was about to say, you know, the scene in um, season one where, you know, Fred can't get it up. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, goes to their dressing room or whatever, their closet, and Serena follows him and was like, let me help you. And he goes, no, you know, we shouldn't. And then there's a scene in um, season one, episode six, at the end, when, you know, Red's all riled up from after the, the party with the delegation, saying how amazing you are, and is turned on by her and her success, mm-hmm. which was a big draw for them in the previous mm-hmm. marriage life, you know, starts making out, and, you know, Serena says, oh, but, like, like we should have, because they know they're not supposed mm-hmm. to, and, and, but they still hook up, which is, it's like, your, your husband and wife, you know, but there's still this very, like, rigid rigid uh, structure for you. And then, so June goes back to her room, and the room is redecorated, like, more comfy and cozy, and not just, like, her mattress on the floor like it was before. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is still, like, a tone shift yeah. in the house where it's, like, okay, you know, we're not gonna be best friends, but, like, the return, sort of, of some, like, mutual respect slash decency in, in, the, in the fucked up way that these two women <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? yeah. So that was a step for you have a you have a chair that yeah. you can sit on. Yeah. Um <laughs> so after, you know, the consummation of Ian's experience. So Nick rolls over and he's just like, are you okay? Which, I mean, good on him. I like him for, mm-hmm. like, checking in on her emotional stability. I mean, she's 15. Was she, was she sure she exactly. But Eden cracks me up. I wrote down in my notes her exact quote. I just, I can't wait to see if it worked. <laughs> and then, like, and if, and if it doesn't, then we just keep trying. Like, no shit. Right? No. Um... Just so simple. And then my other favorite scene is when we cut to Serena, like it's storming outside in the middle of the night, and she's like rage gardening because she's mad at Alfred. You know, she mentions, you know, she's always plotting, wanting more, and Fred is like very tender with her. So there's mm-hmm. a tone shift in their marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just sort of sucking up to her, making the hope and pray that God makes me worthy, all this stuff. So I don't know what his aim is with her. Obviously, I think some of his. 
Um, he just wants her to keep submitting. Yeah. Well, and and Lydia was talking about you know keeping the the household sim- house yeah. and, and you know you know how to do that, don't you? Type thing. You know. And we see like the care again in their um, marriage before Gilead when Sabrina is in the hospital bed recovering from her gunshot wound and she's still working. You know, she's putting up a statement and the wording she uses, choosing to call the person that shot her a terrorist. And then telling Fred to be a man. <laughs> and, you know, she says, I have faith in God, I don't have faith in the police. So, so it is this, like, very, like, this is how people become martyrs and they mm-hmm. figure heads for unpopular opinions and populist opinions that, like, shouldn't be, but, like, because this incident happened, they, they capitalize it. And they right. Which is good PR move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's great at PR. She is good. She was like, even the righteous need a little show business. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that quote. That's a good quote. It's a good quote. So then, she, okay, so she tells him to be a man, literally. He's right. Yeah. Yeah, he's being a wimp in her eyes, and then he goes out, and we see him Oof. with guardians, mind you, before Gilead. So we don't know if they're hired or if there's already an installment underground. That's uh, We don't know what's up with that. But there's guardians. They're in the middle of the woods, middle of nowhere. And we watch him for the first time ever actually kill someone. He's always ordered someone else to do it or, you know, push it off in the back scenes. But this is the first time we've actually witnessed him murder someone. I always felt that, like, okay, Fred, you're a creeper, hands down. But then this was the first time I was like, oh, you've murdered people. I had no idea. I had no idea. I had no inkling that he had that sort of capacity, and there he is, pushed to the brink by, you know, having his wife shot that he loves very dearly, and so he's, like, spurred to this action. So I thought that that was interesting, and also, like, and and I think alluding to maybe something later on that, like, you know, Fred is, uh, I think, more dangerous than people give him credit for. I don't think they call these guys commanders just as an honorific. I I think this was some sort of a military coup. Uh, it does sound like a coup with the way everything was set up to, like, destroy the infrastructure of the United States. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, he sure did. And that was, that, just from a psychological standpoint, he's like, you know, do you know what it's like to feel, you know, the, the woman you love, you know, in pain? And, blah, 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 and he shot that girl in the head and was like, well, I was like, oh, damn. I thought it was just, like, a, a creepy, creepy path, but now it's mm. like a psychopath. So there you go. So Psychopathy, like, oh, yeah. I don't feel bad for you anymore, Fred. That's they, they, they did kind of push him over the edge, though. I mean, they, yeah. they, they did shoot his wife. And... His lack of emotion suddenly makes sense. Yeah. So we get Fred coming into Alfred's room, and this oh, just like... Okay, so it started out tender, and I was like, oh, how sweet. Like, he gave her the one thing that she wanted, no, and then I that... And then that one moment, that one moment that all of a sudden you know what's going on and even June just like tenses up and you just see everything change. But good on June. She's a quick thinker on her toes. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, but I'm just so concerned about the baby. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Like, we obviously know that's not how that works, but no. good for you. I think it works. Exactly. Oh, is it safe to have sex? <laughs> poking the baby. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is whole Sorry, scene. knocked up. Not... Go ahead. No, you guys are fine. I just couldn't <laughs> deal with this scene. I couldn't. I was 
And she got away with what? Probably like five or six months without sex. Like, and then all of a sudden, like, you have to go back into that? Like, no. No, no. I don't. She, I think she's pretty determined to never ever do that again. Mm. I would do. Yeah. Um, and then so. Oh, God. Oh, I can't get it over it. But she got the picture of Hannah. She did get the picture of Hannah. She did. So she, she knows how to play her part. She still has mm-hmm. Fred keeping him at arm's distance so he doesn't come her again. But, but she still played the emotions to keep him in touch. Playing, mm-hmm. playing, playing the game with him. Um, and then, in contrast, you know, we have uh, Nick at the... This, there's a vent at the Rachel and Leah Center. Handmaids, all the commanders are arriving. Commander Price arrives. And Nick, like, runs up to him and was like, you have to reassign me. Yeah. I haven't told you everything. And you have to promise me to protect the handmaid. And so it just made me think, because we've had conversations about, like, what is Nick's relationship and, like, what kind of power and sway does Nick have? And I think it's because, like, you know, you have to remember Commander Price and Nick had, like, sort of a relationship before. Right. And so... Oh, yeah, we knew that. He has an affection for Nick in that, like... Like, as a father figure sort of thing, mm-hmm. I feel like. And so, I think for a commander to be like, I will protect the handmaid. You have my word. I think to promise anything to a guardian. For a guardian to feel close enough to Commander Price to be like... To make demands like that. Yeah. remember? Yeah, true. I mean, he's, he's not even a double agent. He's like a triple agent. Yeah. Because... The Waterfords think that he's loyal to them, but he was placed there by Commander Price yeah. to keep an eye on Commander Waterford, um, who he doesn't trust. Um, so he's a spy in the household, and he's got connections to the Resistance. So he's really sort of a triple agent there. So I think he he had a he could go up to him and and say, look, you know, this is what I need you to do. You know, I've done all this for you, buddy. Um, I need you to to do this much for me. And, you know, for all we know, he could still have those letters. Let's just hope Eden doesn't find him. Can Eden read? Probably not. That would work in our favor. Because she was so she was so young, she was so young. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, because like age of literacy is like one line. Yeah, never know. By ten, you definitely can read. Ooh. But also, she's such like a true believer. She's very pious. That she might be like, oh, I'm not allowed to read this. But she saw that there's writing. I'm sure my husband has a reason for having these. I have to believe in him. Um, Who knows? So then we get this this so super interesting scene, so so interesting of Serena, Eden, and Alfred. And so Alfred's sitting there, like not eating her breakfast, and Serena's being like, you know, just like passive aggressive to her, you know. And she gave her a freaking steak. Yeah, <laughs> like she's eating well, you know. And she's like, well, pack it up for her. She'll eat it later. Don't cook her good food later, right? And yeah. So Eden comes Mommy in. Mommy dearest. <laughs> I mean, it's good food. Um, yeah, waste not, one not, especially in, you know, they can afford, but yeah. still, waste. yeah, um, so Eden comes in offering to help Serena, and, and she's like, aren't you sweet, I wish offered her like that, and she intentionally throws her knitting needles on the floor, and Eden goes to the and says, no, 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 you have to know your place in the household, Mar- you are a married woman of faith, you know, let make the handmaid do it. Uh, we've been having this conversation since the season began about, um, you 
know, the hierarchy of women. Mm -hmm. Even though Alfred is pregnant and she has very special privileges, it does not trump the married women faith in the household. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an interesting distinction that they make. Um, yeah, but but she still played her pregnancy card to get out of it. Absolutely. So she still has some power. It's a power struggle. Absolutely, and and this whole scene was was like a very like who's you know pushing who and, mm -hmm. and and just that and and I think there's this weird like mutual like frenemy thing between Serena and <laughs> Serena knows that when offered was like. <laughs> think so. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So, she could have just called Rita in there and said, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling kind of crampy, could you? And then Rita would have been like, fuck off. Like, like, <laughs> she could have done it. In her, in, her, in her own way, right? Yeah. And, uh, Rita, we've seen, like, doesn't like to make waves. She will, mm -hmm. she will bend the rules how she can, when she can, but she... She will not break them. Yeah, she's, she's definitely doesn't want to make waves Understandably, if, you know, Serena outrightly, like, beats the shit out of her in front of people, in front of the company, like, she knows, like, the consequences for her would be bad. And, and we've discussed also how, like, uh, even though Amanda Rubel was very young, um, the character Rita is technically, definitely much older. So, mm -hmm. being an older person, the idea of being beat up, duh, I don't think that's very attractive. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so we get to the climax of this episode, and so yes. we're at the Commanders Conference, and the Rachel Lee Center, um, all the Commanders are in this room, and the handmaids are on the outside on the second level on the, the first floor, and so Fred's making this giant speech about restore the moral world in which we can serve God, and, like, this awesome direction of, like, this handmaid, you don't see who it is, and all the handmaids bonnets turning, and then you see it's awkward. And mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but when I saw her, I was like, shit's about to go down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit's about to happen. Well, but I was so surprised. I was like, wait, why Offlin? Because she was so happy. Like, she thought this was right. such a good right. deal. Until they cut her tongue out of her mouth. Yeah, that's okay. Right. Brooke Beckham was back for sure. I think she just, it, it's been like a downhill thing for her. 
And it's interesting because we don't see any of I was going to say, we saw none of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, um, I think we had a comment um, I got on Facebook from Becky S. Um, she said, you know, there's no inner monologue in episode five because it was a statement was being made that, you know, Alfred was really broken. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, we didn't get any commentary from Alfred either. But it was also because I think I mentioned earlier, like, all everything was, like, everything on was the external. chest. Like, it was mm-hmm. very external. Like, she didn't need the subtext of her her voiceover because she said everything. That was mm-hmm. on her mind, right? Yeah. In one form or another. Even if it wasn't to that person, she would then tell someone else. Someone else. Right. So I think that was interesting because she had brought up that point and then I thought back and was like, this episode didn't have an interaction with me. But yeah, so Alfman uh, walks in there, you know, shows the hand makes the trigger. So, she so they can run. Get run, get mm-hmm. the hell out. And just launches towards, like, in like a peak like action movie sequence mm-hmm. running towards Fred and I think Abigail was saying like bonnet flying off mm-hmm. no shits given yeah. full war face <laughs> kabloomy explosions I would like to point out that I found a black commander in one of those like uh, slow-mo uh, views so yeah, we we are talking about like why she called him a Nazi and we have to mm-hmm. address the issue of racism. Right, but I did see at if one, if not two, black commanders in that room. There's a few. Yeah, interesting. So we might just, just not address it in this show. I don't know. We'll never understand the no, Nazi comic, no. guys. It, 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 mm, okay. Um, just as a side thing. Yeah. There are a few. Um, black Republicans of power. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, J.C. Watts and, and um, you and know... Carson. Yeah, but... Carson, okay, Keys, power, but, but I, I don't think that Republican and black no. matters. No, that's not... You get, I, I'm not talking about that in general. I mean that despite the fact... Despite the fact that in general, the... One might say that the platform of that party is runs counter to the interests of those particular right. folks, there are some folks who buy into that. Yeah. Thus, I think there are probably some people who buy into the whole Gilead yeah. philosophy who are people of color. I mean, I, I don't and think I fully agree, but okay. are high enough up yeah. in the hierarchy to be commanders. Or had enough money or power or something Cause to, there's, to, you know, to anchor their place there. Yeah. There, there are econo people of, of color. Well, yeah, but... Yeah, right, that's what I'm yeah, saying. I, yeah, that's so different. So there are going to be a few people who are high enough up in that hierarchy, one or two. Up, yeah. I just... Or to have, like, All right. grandfathered in at some yeah, I mean, this was a Black lot of, Mormons, it was a lot of episode. I mean, these episodes are always a lot of episode, but we had two, the, this uh, climax that didn't really seem to have to do with anything other than, I mean, the episode is called First Blood. Mm-hmm. You know, and First Blood of Consummation, we had the Consummation. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, I think, like, beginning of uh, May Day Revolution, maybe, question mark? That's a possibility. I was also thinking Rambo. That's the name of the first Rambo. Yeah. First blood. Yes. I mean, she was very Rambo, right? And we have questions. We have a lot of questions. You know, who was she working with? Where did she get this thing? Okay. So that was a high-tech mechanism that she was using. Mm -hmm. There is no way that she made that herself. No. 
she's involved with the resistance somehow. And I don't know how it happened or where or when, but it happened. We haven't gotten back to Canada in a hot minute, y'all. Yeah, it's been a few episodes. Wasn't that what, what Price was saying towards the beginning? Was he said that... Supposed to be having people coming in from Canada? I don't know about that. The opening? He said... I don't know about that. I recall, yes, but maybe... He said all the districts. They weren't there. He said all the districts were coming, but I don't know about Canada. He said something about... He said something about... Yeah. I, yeah, I just don't know if that was involved in this. This one was all the commanders from all the districts. Right. All right, guys. Well, we ran the gamut of this episode and ran the the gamut of uh, lots of different subjects, especially on related to this episode. So if you have more to contribute to the conversation, please email us. You can email us at the Handmaid's Podcast. Or Facebook us. At the Handmaid's Podcast. Um, Please uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you um, feel it in your heart. You can also uh, donate to our podcast. Helps us with um, costs or editing, anything. Those costs um, pop up here and there. Pizza. Uh, Pizza. <laughs> Go feed um, uh, our uh, lovely ladies here. Um, and so that is at coffee.com, ko-fi.com slash the handmade podcast. So thank you so much, and we will see you next week to see what happens. Woo! Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you so much for listening to The Handmaid's Podcast this week. My name is Donna Bali. I am your host and producer. If you are loving what you are listening to so far, please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us move up in the rankings, and it helps those who love The Handmaid's Tale as much as we do find our podcast. Our logo is designed by Jill Costa Call, and our music is by bensound.com. We record at the Look On Media Studios in downtown Baltimore, Maryland. See you next week.